Good morning. We are thankful that you are here this morning, that we can enjoy this beautiful Lord's Day together, spending a few moments in worship, and we are grateful that you are here, especially to our regulars, to our members, but as well to our visitors. We are thankful that you have come our way. I, I hate to sometimes get up here and make announcements to start off, but we know that everybody listens to every word the preacher says, right? And remembers everything the preacher says from week to week. So sometimes it's a good moment to say a few things. Uh, I would share, I didn't get a chance to update Bob at the last moment, but uh, we need to seriously continue to pray for our sister Pat Elliott. Uh, she uh, is doing some better from the vascular surgery she had, but she'd also had a fall and has a broken wrist uh, with bones that are chipped and torn ligaments. Uh, and at the end of last week, they were discussing amputating her foot because of the vascular issues. As of a few moments ago, Ms. Terry shared uh, that they are looking at not amputating her foot, but possibly having to amputate her big toe. So she still has a, a very serious uh, few days ahead of her, weeks, and, and time of recovery. We want to pray for Pat as well as for Debbie and Terry. Uh, as well, today is, of course, our second Sunday of the month. That is one of our big days. We've got a lot of things going on. Uh, the teens are not going to teen singing, but we've encouraged them and would encourage all of you to come to the Saudi Daisy Healthcare Center at 2 o'clock as we worship uh, with the residents there. We always enjoy that time. And then, of course, our young people will begin uh, in earnest, as a group, studying for Bible Bowl this afternoon at 4.30, the book of Luke. We'll be continuing to make announcements about Lads to Leaders and looking forward to that coming up. And so we're excited and appreciate your prayers there. Uh, I would mention uh, as well about the thankful day. I'm going to make an announcement at the end of services, giving a little more detail about that. So we'll come back to that at the end of our services so we make sure and update you on those things. And then let me say, we missed being here last Sunday. Appreciate Bill uh, and the lesson he presented. Many of you got to hear that. If you can't you can or didn't, you can find it online and get to uh, enjoy uh, the sermon that he presented and appreciate Carl mentioning that and the good job that he did. If you were not with us last Sunday night, we had a very good service uh, and a good presentation by Jason Brazier, who works for the Greater Chattanooga Counseling Services. We appreciate the opportunity to support that work, the things that they do. There are some kind of postcard size uh, pieces of information out on the table in the lobby. If you or someone you know is in need of any type of counseling, pretty much, family, marriage with kids he even had on the slide that he presented about faith counseling uh, those kinds of things these are folks that are here to help they have their address phone numbers and we are very thankful for the work that they do uh, and it's something that sometimes people are embarrassed about and don't want to admit or talk about having to go see a counselor but it is very helpful for many folks and those who do would comment of the, the how better they feel after being able to share and have someone to listen to what they're saying to think through their feelings and process things in this life so we want to um, continue to push that and encourage you to take advantage of that we appreciate our elders so much uh, supporting that uh, even the special contribution that was mentioned a few moments ago they did not tell you that we uh, had a special contribution today. The money that we collected today is going to go toward the Danleys buying steaks for everybody next Saturday, all right? So because uh, that or we'll talk about the elders and deacons meeting about a pay raise, I don't know. Um, but you're welcome to our house next uh, Saturday for whatever. We'll, uh, we'll announce about that at a later date. There once was a man who had the most beautiful daughter. And this story is real, by the way. This is not a fable. It's, you know, not, not some made-up story. But there once was a man who had the most beautiful daughter. She was. And, and it wasn't like how dads, you know, every, every dad says his, his daughter's the most beautiful. Uh, but he had the most beautiful daughter. Everyone knew it. They talked about her beauty. Others saw it as well. And as time happens to us and to, to everyone, she, of course, grew up. 
and got older, and it became time for her to possibly find a, a husband. It came time for her to settle down. And she found a, a boy, she found a young man, and they were married. And this father was proud, as fathers are, of their beautiful daughters and of their children. This, this father was very proud. He's proud of his daughter. He's proud of his beautiful little girl. But he's proud of his son-in-law as well. This new son-in-law of his had joined the military and was willing to go fight for his country. He was thankful for that and proud about that as well. But as is often the case, he received that message that no parent wants to receive, definitely even no in-law wants to receive, but that his son-in-law had been killed fighting, killed in the fighting. And he heard that message, and of course, that's bad news that he didn't want to have to, to live through. He didn't want to have to, to process that and think about that. But as if that wasn't bad news enough, when his daughter came to tell him of her husband's death, she also had some more heartbreaking news to share. While his son-in-law had been away, had been fighting with the military, someone had seen her, had taken advantage of her, as we sometimes hear about, and now she was pregnant. Can you imagine that the emotions that this man has felt, especially probably in a fairly short amount of time, maybe not days, but, but in a decent amount of time, he's happy, he's proud, he loves his family very much, and he's sad, and he, he's devastated, as we often are at the loss of a loved one. He's going to have a grandson because of this, but he doesn't quite feel the happiness that other grandparents feel. In fact, he kind of feels a little bit of shame because of the way that things have taken place. And, and maybe it wasn't his daughter's fault, but it's still, it's not just the way that we kind of expect things to happen. So all of these emotions are, are kind of flowing through him. And he finds out even who the father of this new baby is. And, and he's completely unsure how to handle all of that, how to, how to process these emotions and what exactly he feels. And just when it seems like things couldn't get any worse and life is truly, truly not fair, then he receives word that his new grandson is sick. And within just a week, just within seven days, that baby dies. You know, there are lots of sad stories in this world, and this is certainly one of them. It is a fact of life that we very often feel that life is just simply not fair sometimes for us. And while some of the details of this man's story are a little bit fuzzy and the timeline may not be known for sure, you know him. You've heard this story, even if you've never thought about it from his perspective. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is, not this, is not, this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Eliam. His name was Eliam. And 99% of the time, we never think about this story through his eyes. We sometimes blame Bathsheba, maybe, and we even almost all the time blame David, certainly, for what took place. And even about three months ago, I preached on Nathan's role in this matter from 2 Samuel chapter 12. We know those facts of this story, but we pretty quickly read over Eliam's name sometime. And we forget that there are two sides to this story, or possible, possibly multiple sides of this story, when you think about everyone who was involved. But when we consider what we really know about Eliam, which is bas basically nothing except for he was a father. He was a father-in-law, 
that we know of. He lost a son-in-law, and he was briefly a grandfather who lost that grandson, although another grandson would come along just within a few chapters there in your Bible after not too long. If there was anyone who could say amidst the troubles and trials of life that life is not fair, it was probably Eliam. And I think there are a few lessons that we can learn when we think about his life. You know, as is often the case sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we're unsure of who a person is when we see a name because it could be somebody else by that same name. There may be up to three instances that we see the name Eliam, and it may be the same guy and it may not be. But if we say this morning this is the only verse that we know, the only time we read his name, we can learn a few things about his life and about how life is not fair. Because while we can pass over it very quickly because we know David and Bathsheba and we even know Uriah and we know about Nathan and we even know about the little grandson as we think about him only living for a week before he dies and David is, is of course bothered by that at the end of chapter 12. But life is not fair and what can we think about when we think about Eliam this morning? Number one, and I'll give you a moment as you fill in the blanks there. I didn't count them. Faith and I are on a streak of messing up the bulletin here. So uh, I didn't count our blanks. But uh, consequences, as you, as you fill that in there, you can begin to think about this fact. If there's one thing we know for sure from the story of David and Bathsheba, it is that sin bears great consequences. I, I said it this way, both forward and backward. And maybe it's more of a circular nature. Eliam is alive in this moment. I mean, he's there, uh, we, we know. And so um, it's at least when we think about his role, you know, it's not so much forward or backward, but, but our sin bears great consequences. It has a, a profound effect sometimes upon everyone else around us. And this is a fact of life that we sometimes overlook. Now, we certainly know the, the forward effects of sin, and, and, and I'm not saying that you can change backward, that you can change the past or anything, but sin can just often have such an all-encompassing uh, and all-swallowing-up effect on us and those around us. Ask yourself this question, though. How many times have you done something wrong that no one else knew about? And then add on that that nothing happened I mean I can certainly think of instances whether I was young or even older where where I might have said something I shouldn't have or or twisted the truth or lied just a little bit about something no one seemed to know there seemed to be no ill effects that can cause us I'm afraid to feel oftentimes like there are no consequences because of our sin but Moses gave a very serious warning in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23 Numbers 32, 23, Moses said, be sure your sins will find you out. Now in the context there, it's, it's got its own context of who he's talking to, but, but it's pretty much a serious warning for, for all time. As long as this earth is standing and man is inhabiting it, it's a pretty serious warning. Be sure your sins will find you out. It's an almost chilling thought, isn't it? I mean, quite a number of movies or even horror movies have carried with it that basic theme that, that no matter what we do, it seems to follow us, whether forward or backward or all around us. That is the, the consequence of sin. It's amazing sometimes and not in a good sense, but it's amazing or interesting to think about the effect that a person's sins can have on those around them. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 in verse number six, 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I would submit to you, he meant it. And not only did he mean it, but he understood fully as God incarnate here on this earth, the effects of what happens when man and woman will come together and then separate. Now, as I try to oftentimes say, Excuse me. I, I cannot speak to every situation this morning. I cannot sit here and tell you that everything is cut and dry. There are sometimes one spouse who's trying to do the right thing and one who's trying to do the wrong thing. Sometimes both of them just agree to divorce. Many different situations. But when God said, let them come together and be one and let not man separate, he meant it. And he understood the effects of that. If you're like me, you've seen it. I can think of families that I know of where it all started with one or two, the couple getting divorced, where then you see the children of that couple, it's not a big deal, they get divorced. And then their grandchildren or their children think it's not a big deal and they get divorced. And we see this cycle begin. <clears throat> Again, we can't speak to every situation, but when God said it, he meant it because the, what takes place when we begin to follow in those steps carries with it great consequences. When Paul said in Romans 13, 13, let us walk properly, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, he meant it. He meant it because by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he could see the effects. It's not a 2019 problem. It was an AD 30 problem and 40 and 50 and so on and so forth that when people get caught up in sinful behavior, it has an effect on those around them it doesn't mean that one generation cannot do better and turn around but oftentimes our sin carries with it the weight upon our children and our grandchildren and those who come after us and lying even in a family sometimes can be passed on and so many other situations that we've witnessed where a family begins to have trouble and then they begin to pass it down and we can see that one little moment in time, one little problem that we have, can often carry with it going forward great, great consequences. David felt or did what he felt to be good in the moment. He wasn't thinking of the effect, even on himself probably. <clears throat> he wasn't even thinking of the effect on himself, much less the effect on Bathsheba, probably. Even much less the effect on her husband, Uriah. And certainly not as we began on her father, Eliam, or anyone else. We all understand Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But what I am afraid of for you and for me is the fact that because we do not die in that moment when we sin, because we are not struck dead in that moment, we then become justified. And thus we continue in our destructive behavior. You know, it's the case sometimes that when I touch a hot iron, I jerk back. Thank you, brother. When I touch a hot iron, I jerk back. And you know what happens? I don't do it again. But when I lie and no one knows, I'm willing to do it again. And again, and sometimes even again. David's descent is horrible. And David's descent is fast. He goes further than he probably ever imagined that he could or would. But it's hard to imagine he ever stopped to think of Bathsheba's husband or even her father. And the Apostle Paul describes it best, I think, in Romans 6 
as the fact that we become slaves to sin and slaves to sin leading to death. Our sin carries with it great consequences all around us. And even though Eliam's not the one doing it, we can look at what happened and what he possibly was aware of and realize that, yes, we have to be very careful with the things we do and the decisions we make each and every day. Number two this morning. I think from Eliam we can learn that life is not fair, but God certainly is. Injustice is a fact of life. And I I know what you're thinking. Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? We all know life is not fair. We understand that. And we could go around the room and and many of us could give one example. And many more of us could probably give ten examples of where life was not fair to us. It's a hard lesson that we sometimes have to teach our children. And we don't want to see them hurt. We don't want to see our children suffer. But we begin to learn that they have to learn from their trials and even the injustice that they sometimes face in life. It says it right there in your Bible, Psalm chapter 73, the 73rd Psalm in verse number 3. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Envious of the wicked? I mean, we wouldn't look at those who are sinful and wicked and be envious of them, but yet sometimes we are. We can be. We can learn from Eliam losing a son-in-law, losing a grandchild. His precious, beautiful daughter, his little girl, defiled. Or maybe we go backward and we think about Job. Remember Job. Job chapter 1 closes with a man, a broken man standing in front of ten graves. Seven sons, three daughters, we learn in Job 1 and 2. Standing in front of ten graves at one time. Life is not fair. Bad things sometimes happen to good people. And not only that, we see in this situation that bad things sometimes happen because of other people. And even good people. Do you you wonder if Elam was flabbergasted? Do you wonder if he just didn't know what to think as the truth hit him of just who it was who had caused all of this? That maybe his daughter tells him and says, not just any man came in and took me and, and lay with me. But the king, and not just any king, but King David. Are we not just as shocked sometimes when we realize that a good person, an authority figure, is caught up in a scandal? The wise man said it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 in verse number 9. Ecclesiastes 11 in verse number 9. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. A lot of people in the world know that verse, or at least have heard it. It's not fair. Life is not fair. The preacher shares good news sometimes, and other times he shares the fact of life, and life is not fair. But God above, the ruler and creator of the heavens and the earth, The Almighty God is a just God. You may recall in Daniel chapter 4 in verse number 37, King Nebuchadnezzar, who by the way had just been humbled, had just been brought low, King Nebuchadnezzar said it this way, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. 
Even the world recognizes sometimes that God is a just God, that he is fair. Or even our favorite passage oftentimes is Christians, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us. That's the God that we serve. Yes, life is not fair, but God is a just God. Once again, very plainly on the pages of your New Testament, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 45. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We may not always get our way. Eliam certainly didn't want any of the bad things that happened to him or his family. But do not curse God and die. Do not blame him, God. As Paul would write to the Romans in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I don't think that has to just be in a violent way. We see vengeance and we hear revenge and we think about angrily attacking someone. I don't think this is just in a violent way, but one day, one day good will fully and completely and finally triumph over evil. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more more sorrow, no more crying because God has triumphed over all. Yes, Jesus has already won the victory in a sense, but one day this earth will no longer stand and we'll be able to understand that life was not fair, but God was and God is. Or even Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 The Hebrew writer says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, since their message was reliable, and because every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. That's the way it works. That's the way it will work. Not in every single instance, in every single moment, because... Life is not fair, but God certainly is. And then third and finally this morning, I think we can learn from Eliam that forgiveness is hard, but it's also required. Again, I ask you, can you imagine? I mean, I try to give you the story, maybe in a way you've not heard about it before or thought about Eliam's shoes, but can you imagine losing all of that? We don't have the exact timeline, how many days it was that some of these... that. Um, Pass between some of these events, but can you imagine if David sent for Eliam later? What if he sent for Eliam and tried to apologize? Dads, would you have accepted that apology from the king? Been pretty hard, wouldn't it? To look him in the eye despite the fact that he was king, and even though he may not have been called exactly yet a man after God's own heart, you know the good things he's done, you know the reputation that precedes him, but could you look him in the eye and say, I forgive you? It can be easy to be an armchair quarterback, as we sometimes say here. Well, they should forgive. Well, you should forgive that person who's done that to you. That's what I would do. But would you, though? I mean, would you really? If you'd lost all that, would you look that person in the eye and say, I forgive you? We really don't get any more of this story as far as uh, what we read about in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 at least from Eliam's angle or or even from those who are affected. But it's something to consider because for us, a lot of times our forgiveness is dependent upon who it is and what they've done. I might be willing to forgive my spouse, but not a coworker. 
I, I might be willing to for, forgive because you did this, but not because you did that. And it's dependent upon what we witness and what we see. Forgiveness can be hard, but it is also, of course, required, for we are forgiven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul describes a scene where those brethren needed to forgive. And in 2 Corinthians 2 in verse number 7, in order to move forward as a group of people, as brethren, in order to move forward and help save someone, rather than to have them drown in their own sorrow or their own troubles, Paul says forgiveness is needed. It is required. And of course, we think maybe the most powerful real-life example of the words of our Savior in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Was that said just kind of on the side? Was that said on the mountaintop? Or is that said literally hanging on the cross? People all around you, open wounds bleeding. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And perhaps for me, And we shared this recently in a lesson. The other most powerful example is Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13. Paul says it to me in a very powerful way. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Life may not be fair, but we must forgive. Even when it's hard, because we stand forgiven. If Christ could do it hanging on the cross, we have to do it as well especially once we've had the opportunity to have our sins washed away and be forgiven. On September 6th of last year, a mother received the call that no mother should ever have to receive. Her son was gone. Not valiantly, not heroically, though the world would learn his name soon enough, but in his own home, shot and killed, taken from her and his family, This mother would probably describe it as a nightmare. Alice and Jean learned our title the hard way that day. Life is not fair. And one year later, almost 13 months to the day, the world was reminded that life is not fair, but God is. And forgiveness, true forgiveness, true biblical forgiveness is hard, but it is also required. Required by a God who is willing to forgive us. Brant John looked at her and could say, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I don't know what Amber Geiger thought before that day or even what she was thinking in those moments in that Dallas courtroom. And you know, we don't know what happened to Eliam. We don't know what opportunity was afforded to him and whether it was or not. Whether he was ever given the opportunity to forgive. But I hope that if, it, that if he was, that he would act just as Brent John did that day in that courtroom one month ago. And may we learn from his example and the countless examples that God, God's word gives to us. Life is not fair, but God is. And forgiveness is hard sometimes, but it's also required. It may be this morning that you don't understand God's forgiveness because you've not accepted it. You accept it by committing to him, believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God, repenting of your sins and confessing him as Lord and Savior. You can then, you can't stop there. You can then continue on and be baptized for the remission of your sins and the Lord will add you to his church. But maybe, as is often the case for us as Christians, the bitterness and injustices of life get us down. 
They get us down and they pull us away from God. We allow sin to creep in, sometimes even just through a small crack and enter our lives and separate us from God. It may be that you are in need this morning of returning to him. Through confession, repentance, and prayer, you can be made whole again, even this morning. If you are in need, would you make your life right with God? Even now, as we stand together and as we sing.